We're going to start today our new series called Reflections on the book of 2 Timothy. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've kind of been uh, following the church of Ephesus all the way through the Bible. We did Ephesians last year, and we talked about how Ephesus and the church there was living in a hostile context of a bustling pagan city in modern-day Turkey. That letter to the Ephesians Paul wrote around AD 60 uh, reminded them as Christians that they were chosen, that they were adopted, and that they were accepted, so they needed to live like it. Then five years later, Paul writes his first letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul gives Timothy some instructions to follow in his new position as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Paul gives Timothy some real and sometimes hard instructions on how to avoid shipwrecking his faith and to stay away from false teachers, to keep a high accountability of leaders, to not let his youth be an excuse for what he does or doesn't do for God. And lastly, that godliness is not a means for gain, that godliness in and of itself is great gain. Then two years later, in AD 67, things have changed drastically for Paul. Paul was in a Roman prison, and he had been in house arrest, and he'd been in prison before, but this time it was different. Every other time Paul had been in jail, there was hopes that he would be released, but there was little hope for that now. He was in a cold and dank prison cell in chains facing imminent execution. Have you ever heard the phrase, Nero fiddled while Rome burned? Nero was an emperor during this time. He was a builder. He had great plans for Rome. So much, in fact, that he was rumored by the historians of the day to have started that great fire in Rome that burned out of control for six days, destroyed half the city, and left half of the population homeless. And Nero later built his golden palace and gardens on that ground that was cleared by that great fire. But see, Nero blamed the Christians for the fire. He knew the Jews and the Romans both hated the Christians, so they were the great place to place the blame. Now, Christians of the day were not people of great influence or prestige. They were from humbler walks of life, many of them slave. So Nero blames them for burning down Rome, and he orders them punished. The ancient historian Tertullian calls Nero the first persecutor of the church. Nero took to barbarian methods of killing Christians. In particular, he had some sewn up in the skins of wild beasts and then attacked by dogs until they died. Another thing he also would do is he would dress uh, these Christians in shirts that were covered in stiff wax, and then he'd tie them to posts, and he would light them on fire in, their, in his garden as he circled them in chariots, indulging himself and gloating over the death of his victims. And this was persecution that was widespread throughout the whole Roman Empire. But see, rather than diminish, it increased the spirit of Christianity. Someone said this in 200 A.D., They said, do you not see that the Christians thrown to the wild beasts that they may recant the Lord do not allow themselves to be beaten? Do you not see that the more that they are punished, the more the others increase in numbers? In fact, Tertullian also said this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says it this way. He says, I will build my church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you're sitting in a church here today that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ because nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Dictators have tried to stop it before. They've outlawed Christianity. They've burned Bibles. They've killed Christians. But the gates of hell will not win a fight against the church. So Paul sits in prison, preparing to die for a crime of which he was not guilty. Yet there was no hint of regret that he had given up his life for Christ in the church. Paul persevered to the end. He never gave up. He never wavered. And although this was the last letter that Paul wrote before dying for his faith, Paul's faith lived on through Timothy and other co-workers in the faith, and it was passed all the way down to us. See, he didn't let his faith die with him. He passed it on. So Paul writes this letter while in prison in Rome facing execution under Nero, most likely under the false accusation that he had something to do with starting that great fire in Rome. And during that solitude, Paul reflects back on his life and he reflects on what the church will need in his absence. And he entrusts the ministry into Timothy's hands. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayer, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul thanks God that he has Timothy. He wants to see him one last time. He had mentored Timothy for so long. But see, mentorship works in both directions. He was helping and encouraging Timothy, but he was also being helped and being encouraged. Verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Paul reflects back on how far Timothy has come and where Timothy was when he first met him. And Paul remembers the great faith that Timothy's grandmother and mother had. See, Lois and Eunice passed on their faith. They invested in the next generation. They didn't let their faith die with them. They passed it on. And they deposited their faith into another so that, they, uh, so that that faith could live past their life. And Paul tells Timothy to fan that faith like a flame. He tells him to pour gasoline on the fire of his faith. Let it grow. Use his gifts. Strengthen them. And that God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of spiritual power, love, and self-control. So Paul tells him to pursue those things. Pursue that spiritual power, that love, and that self-control, and not to allow fear to rule in his life. The word fear here in the Greek 
uh, has the idea of timidity. Timidity. See, you can be shy about talking about your job, but we cannot be timid about talking about Christ. We cannot be timid about talking about the gospel. That's not an option. See, fear is just faith in the wrong things. Fear is faith in the wrong things. Fear is faith in what people will think of you. Fear is faith in what if it doesn't work out. Fear is faith in the risks are too high. Fear is faith in I've done it before and I've failed. See, instead of that, have faith in the power, the self-control, and love that Jesus provides. See, Paul knew that Timothy most likely was going to face the same type of persecution that he was facing. So he needed to strengthen his faith and be bold now and to fan, uh, to, to fan the flame of his faith. Now, tradition tells us about Timothy that as an 80-year-old preacher, he stood before a procession of the goddess Diana and preached the gospel to try and halt that sin that was going on, and they beat him, and they drug him through the city, and they killed him. So I'd like to think that he fanned the, fame of, uh, the flame of his faith, right? He was bold in his faith until his dying day. And it sounds like Timothy persevered to the end and didn't let fear win. And Timothy didn't let his faith die with him either. He passed it on. Verse 8 goes on. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of my testimony about the Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God. See, Paul was seeing a problem in the church. Because of his often imprisonment, people were getting embarrassed to associate with Paul and the church. And they began to wonder if Paul is the leader and he's going through all this suffering, maybe this whole thing isn't of God. And they bought into the lie that following Jesus equals no suffering. And that suffering was a sign that they were on the wrong track. But chapter 3 of Paul's letter in verse, 30, uh, verse 12, he says this, and he squashes that lie. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells Timothy, don't give up. Persevere. Keep the faith. It's worth it. Paul says, I have no regrets, and you won't either. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. But later in the chapter, it tells us that there were some men that had deserted the faith by the name of Philegius and Hermogenes. They had given up. They didn't keep the faith. They had shown promise as church leaders and as leaders uh, for the gospel, but they got skittish. They ran. They saw Paul in prison, and they didn't want anything to do with that. They weren't willing to sacrifice for the gospel. Once things got uncomfortable, they were done. So why was Paul willing to persevere, though? Why was Paul willing to hold on? Verse 9, it says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this. It says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed to preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. 
Then he says, this is why I suffer as I do. See, Jesus was willing to die for Paul, so Paul was willing to die for Jesus. Jesus gave Paul a new life, and Paul was willing to give Jesus his life. And it affected what Paul did for a living, who Paul spent his time with, where Paul lived, and what he spent his time on. It didn't just change Paul's life for one hour, once a week, on a Sunday morning. No, it changed Paul's life 24-7. All of his priorities changed. See, Paul gave, uh, Paul said, God gave me something to do, and I'm going to do it till my last and dying breath. Christ abolished death, and he brought life through the gospel, and I'm going to tell everyone I can, no matter what happens to me. And Paul says, this is what I hold on to, the gospel. This is why I suffer, because I love the good news of Christ more than I love to be comfortable. I love the gospel more than I love being freed from prison. In fact, I love the gospel more than my life, and if it needs be, I will prove it. Verse 12. He says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which he has entrusted to me. See, it felt like everyone had turned their backs on Paul but Jesus. But Paul says, I'm not worried about tomorrow because I know who holds it. I know Jesus, and Jesus knows the future, so I'm going to stick with him. I have a mission that he gave me, so I'm going to trust the one that sent me on this mission. Verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Lois and Eunice and Paul had all deliberately passed on their faith to Timothy. They made a deposit into his life, and they had set a pattern to follow, a pattern of faith. What pattern are you leaving for the next generation? We just had some parents come up here and dedicate themselves to leave a pattern that the next generation would follow. See, these people persevered to the end. And they wanted Timothy to do it as well. See, finishing well doesn't happen on accident. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard your mind. You have to guard your faith. We have to remember these things that have been passed down to us, we have to pass them down to the next generation. I'm praying for those of you that are 60 and up that you would get so excited to pass on your faith to the next generation so that it would live past your life. See, part of persevering for your faith is continuing to pass it on and to be excited to pass it on. Older women finding a younger woman that they could just love on and encourage, someone that you could deposit your faith into. Older men finding a young father that they could come alongside of and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm here if you need me. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can be there for somebody. I'm, st- I'm praying that instead of trying pass on, uh, to pass on how we used to do things, we would get more passionate about passing on how much we love Jesus. See, we have to be passionate about passing down our faith. 40 and 50-year-old, what if you went out and found a 20 and 30-year-old to pass your faith on to? 20-year-old, what if you found a student to invest in? 
high schooler? What if you went and found an insecure middle schooler to come alongside of them and encourage them? See, Paul reflects back on his life. And he says, the only way this thing called the gospel lives past my life is if we each fan into flame our faith and we guard the deposit of our faith that we have been entrusted with. And then we live out the holy calling to tell the good news that Jesus abolished death and brought life and to pass on our faith. The only way this thing continues to work is if we get excited about giving it to someone else. And Paul was willing to suffer for that cause because it was worth it and because it was the purpose that he had and it's the purpose that you have as well. See, Paul had seen so many desert the faith. You've probably seen some too. In verse 15 it says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Has there ever been a time that you were closer to God than you are right now? Has there ever been a time that you felt nearer to him than you are right now? If so, why? You know it's not God that stepped away from you. Isaiah and Jeremiah used the word backsliding. And that means that you have gotten caught in the mud during an ascent of a hill and you start to lose your footing and you start going backwards. Proverbs 14, 14 says this, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. So here's a question. Is your calendar filled with things that God put on there or they're filled with things that you put on there? Are your dreams God's dreams for you? See, if we're careful, if we're not careful, the longer that we're in church, the more complacent we get. Hey, there's a real danger that the longer that we've been a Christian, the more apathetic we can get. There's a real risk that the longer we've been a follower of Christ, the more we forget who we were before we found Christ. There's a real threat that the longer that we've been around this church, the more we'll think that this church should be about us. See, being here for 20 years is not necessarily a badge of honor. It might mean that you burn out and quit a long time ago. It might mean that you've taken this all for granted. You know how you can tell someone's priorities? It's by the suggestions that they make. If the suggestions that they make have nothing to do with reaching the people that are outside these doors and instead are about making us more comfortable inside or doing things the way that we want to do or the the preferences that we have, then that's a great sign that we're an inward-focused Christian. See, don't take the gospel for granted. Don't let yourself get apathetic. Don't forget who you were before Christ. Don't believe in the lie that church is about your wants and your preferences. Don't let your heart get filled with your own ways. See, you may not have turned away from the church, but turning away from the purpose of the church is just as bad. Many of us are sat inside church but really deserted the faith because we've made it all about ourselves. And we've made it about what we think and not about the fact. Do you really believe that there are people in this town that are going to die and go to hell? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to everyone's problems outside these walls? Are we really convinced of that because I think if a lost person were to know us 
and to ask themselves that question, do you really believe this? Our actions would probably speak in a different direction. See, the purpose of the church is not to please the membership. It's, the purpose of the church is not to be financially solid, although that's important. The purpose of the church is not to last another 170 years. We can do all those things and still fail miserably as a church. Now, the purpose is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. The purpose is to do what they did in the beginning as to why we have the church today. The purpose is to pass on a pattern to the next generation that they can follow like Lois and Eunice and Paul did so that the next generation can have the hope of Jesus Christ. That is why we're here. The purpose is to have faith that is worth reproducing and then not letting that faith die with us but passing it on. The purpose is to persevere even when suffering comes. The purpose is to fight for the faith, finishing well till you're old and wrinkly, till your dying breath. There is nothing like a white-haired saint that loves Jesus and wants to pass that on. Many of you have had that influence in your life of a grandmother that prayed for you. My grandmother, I, she, uh, she died when I was about nine or ten, and uh, she she went to the church with us. They called us, or they called her the Sunshine Lady, and uh, she would bring people to church. She she'd fill up a bus full of church, uh, people from the nursing home and bring them in, and they called her that because she was always happy and she was always telling people about Jesus and she was always giving people the gospel. Hey, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. There is never a time that you retire from serving Jesus until that moment that you're put down in the grave. The purpose is to deposit our faith into someone else's life. Why? Because Christ abolished death and he brought life. Why? Because we, not because we're just trying to get everybody to agree with us. No. The, the truth is, is that we have the answer. It's not about, well, they think differently. That's okay if they think differently, but they're wrong. Jesus is the only way. That's it. And if that's the truth, we have to be willing to get a little bit uncomfortable. We have to be willing to not care so much about uh, being PC, politically correct, for those of you that didn't understand that. Uh, but you might have to tell someone, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did to me. I'm not talking about being rude or being offensive. I'm talking about telling people what Jesus has done for you and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell everyone I can no matter what happens to me. Why? Because I love the good news of Christ more than I love to be comfortable. Why? Because Jesus was willing to die for me and I will be willing to die for Jesus. That Jesus gave me a new life and I'm going to give my life back to Christ. I'll let it change what I do for a living, who I spend my time with, where I live, what I spend my time on. I'll let it change everything about me, not just one hour a week on a Sunday morning. No, he can have it all. All my priorities. I surrender 
all. God gave me something to do, and I'm going to do it till my last breath. I will persevere. I'm not worried about tomorrow, what is going to happen, because I know the person that holds it. I know Jesus, and Jesus knows the future, so I'm going to stick with him. I know the gates of hell will not prevail against my Jesus, so I'm going to stick close to him. See, Paul is about to be executed, and he has some things that he realized, I have to pass on to somebody else. I'm going to make sure this thing moves on past me because I know what is meant for me. Can you say that? Have you passed on your faith? Can you name one person? Can you name five people that you have invested in? Are you ready to say, I'm ready to go? Out deeper. I'm ready to step out past this casual Christianity that really is just hypocrisy. Doesn't really change me. It's just a name that I wear. It's just a place that I go on Sunday so that people think I'm better than I really am. Are you really ready to get uncomfortable? To take some risks, to step out, to start dreaming again for what God could do with this church and what God could do with you? Are you really ready to say, I'm ready to get serious about my faith again like I was back when I was so in love with Jesus? I'm ready to fan into flame my faith. I'm ready to lay it on the line, to put my faith first so that I can pass it on to the next generation. And I'm ready to persevere to my dying breath. I will not desert the church or the purpose of the church. I surrender all to Jesus. Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads. Worship team's going to come. The hope we found in Jesus cannot remain silent. If Jesus has really done something for you, how unfair is it for us not to give it to someone else? Every head bowed and eyes closed. We've got to come to a point and we've got a decision to make. Am I going to be the type of Christian that the pattern that I have in my life should be something that's passed on to somebody? I'm not talking about being perfect. Or sinless or anything like that. I'm talking about your priorities are right. You love Jesus. You ask for forgiveness when you fail. You love people. Altars open this morning. God spoke to your heart about anything. Maybe you just want to recommit yourself. having a real walk with Christ. Not just that pretend one that we put together so that we can feel like we did something. But the one where we let God order our calendar. The one where we let him change our priorities. The one where we let him make us uncomfortable and and get us out of the box and take some risks. Altar's open now.